Welcome to the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd, Pelham, Alabama podcast. This is your host, Deacon Andrew Brazier. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, let the words that come from my mouth be only heard that is from your word. Let us be rooted in scripture, rooted in your spirit, and please reveal all truths which you have revealed to us. Now, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. At this time, the children are uh, dismissed uh, for children's worship. You go straight to the back there, and uh, we'll begin. We'll have them come back uh, afterwards before we start the service of communion. We like to have the children hear the word of God, uh, to be dismissed for a short time, and then to be received back into the church to receive the, uh, the holy meal together as a family in which we are. If you'd open your Bibles to, or your bulletin to, Hebrews chapter 11, or excuse me, chapter 12, uh, the sermon today will be based upon that epistle. But before we dive into the Word, for the past several weeks, uh, Bible study, the team Bible study I've been doing with, with Joel and with Luke, has focused on the epistle of St. James. And I've also tasked them with reading a chapter a day from the book of Proverbs. It's a great discipline. Uh, Highly recommend it. It's something that I believe a youth minister in my life uh, first recommended to me. Uh, so, for example, we're on the 18th day of the week, so or 18th day of the month, I should say. So you'd read chapter 18 from the book of Proverbs. And if you do this, it's a great way to practice reading Scripture and to get through the entire book of Proverbs within one month. Now, there's a particular proverb which has stuck with me for the past couple of weeks since I've read it. And it comes from Proverbs 29, verse 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. What is our vision? Where do we set our sights upon? Where do we cast our vision towards? What is our goal? What is our mission? In this day and age, I have to wonder, are we even looking anywhere in the first place? Do we even have a vision that we are pursuing? And I ask this because there's a popular music video that's a couple of years old, but still gains traction on social media. And it's ironically, it's very popular on the internet, and it's ironic that it's popular because it's called, Are You Lost in the World Like Me? Very theological, very profound. Are you lost in the world like me? And the video is drawn in the classic style of a 1930s cartoon, and it makes a deep statement. Now, the main character is just a young, small boy who is desperately trying to talk to everyone that he sees on the streets. But everyone is permanently looking down, hunched over and glued with their eyes on their smartphone, walking about wherever they go. Everyone is watching the latest video, making sure that they look at the the next self-help video to make themselves look better, or to keep up with the latest style or trend, or to get the most likes on Facebook or Twitter, or to be retweeted, to be heard on the internet, yet not heard 
to their fellow neighbor next to them. The video shows that everyone is being consumed and is consuming each other through bullying, through depression, and even suicide. And when the video ends, it's with the masses walking with their smartphones over the edge of a cliff. Where there is no vision, the people perish. If this hits too close to home, then that's good. It's downright convicting for me as well. Because we live in a time where we have access to information always within our reach. We walk around with encyclopedias and essentially ignore the encyclopedia use of them and promote our own self-image or our own self-help. Instead, we sit on the couch and we watch TV and we ask, who's that actress? And we just pick up our phone and within a few seconds of a Google search, it'll tell us the name of the actress, what does she starred in, uh, what are her other accompanying roles. You have a question about how does something work? How do I repair my car? How do I change the oil? How do I learn how to change a tire? Anything simple or basic like that and Google it. That's the response you hear today. You have a question? Google it. Not sure how to replace something when it's broke, like a light fixture? Google it. You want to try to figure out what you're going to do when you grow up? Google it. <laughs> it's the answer. We hear it all the time. I give it all the time. And yet, while we're surrounded by information and access to it, and constantly saying, just Google it, we are willing to seek the knowledge of man and the simplicity and easiness of trying to get that data within our reach by simply surfing the internet, not really questioning ourselves on what is the vision that we have? What's driving us? Who do we cast our vision upon? Where there is no vision, the people perish. So I ask each one of you, what is our vision? Where do we set our sights? The better question is, to whom do we set our sights? Now let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. The epistle reading follows a chapter in which the author, St. Paul, provides us with a long list of witnesses to the faith. It's the hall of witnesses, the hall of faith, and if you've never read chapter 11, you've probably heard it at some point, talking about such famous men as Abel, Abraham, Moses, David, and many others. And each one of these men are men of faith and are heroes of the faith and are included in this hall of fame because they're constantly looking and casting their sights onto another. Their vision as faithful men and women are set upon the Messiah. For them, the coming Messiah. The Messiah who they know will come. That is their vision. And that's where they put their trust in. And that is whom they put their trust in. And this person who is not yet revealed to them, they know God has promised. And he is coming. And the good news for us is he has come. He has died. And he is risen and will come again. So in chapter 12 and verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let's stop right there. Did you hear that? We are surrounded by the witnesses of faith. In the Apostles' Creed, we confess the communion of saints. That communion includes those who have died before us and who are considered saints because they cast their eyes on someone who is yet to arrive, but who has come and who will come again. Their faith was placed in the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, fully God, fully man, who taketh away the sins of the world. Let's continue with the rest of verse 1. It says, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Did you hear that? We're in a race. You may not realize it, but we're all in a race. And some of you may realize it more than others, because we're either in a, a rat race of life trying to outperform each other, outdo each other, so we can have more money, so we can have more leisure, so we can, let's be honest, indulge and overindulge. Or we are in a race for our very own lives so that we may obtain true life, which is provided from God. Which race are you in? Are you in the one that leads to overindulgence? To trying to have enough? Acquire enough? Are you in the race that ends with death? Or are you in the race that ends with life eternal? Where there is no vision, the people perish. How are we to finish this race that's set before us? We see the options we have, life and death. And the words of the Lord, choose this day life. Well, let's return to the letter of Hebrews, where it directs us to, quote, to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Once again, we hear echoes of the Apostles' Creed. You can see that these creeds that were come up with, not by mere man, but from the divine authority of the Holy Scriptures, these Creeds are anchored on the scriptures, which is the anchor for our lives. And what does this scripture tell us? It tells us that Jesus, the founder, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith, he is the one to set our eyes upon. So if you want to finish this race alive, then you've got to cast your eyes upon Jesus. Put your trust on him. We cast eyes upon all sorts of people. We cast eyes on leaders who fail us, on bosses who manipulate us, on friends who betray us. But I ask you to cast your eyes, your trust, your faith on Jesus, who never fails us, who will never forsake us, who has claimed us as his very own adopted brethren, has made us sons of God with him by faith through the grace of God alone. We can only finish this race by following the perfecter, the finisher, the completion of our faith. And he is the one who for our behalf endured the shame and the horror of the cross. He is the one who has reversed the curse upon which we were placed when Adam and Eve took the fruit, saw that it was good, and ate it. 
From that tree, Adam and Eve took damnation upon us. And yet, our Lord, our God, takes the tree and wears it as his crown, bloody crown, upon his head. And then is nailed to the tree, the cross, and says, it is finished. That is why in Hebrews it talks about him being the perfecter and the King James, the finisher of our faith. Our vision, if we want to see life, true life, must be placed on Christ and Christ alone. In this race that we as a parish now face, we will experience trials and tribulations. We are an outpost of heaven, and Satan knows that. And Satan will throw everything he can against us, not only as a family, as a parish, but as men and women who are on the path of life, putting our trust in Christ. There's nothing more irritable to the evil one than to see a son of God following Christ Jesus. And he will throw anything that he can in our way. In Sunday school this morning, we really talked about that the Christian life is a, a real life. It's not pie in the sky. It's not that you will have so much peace that you will have no trouble. It is a guarantee. Christ <coughs> told his disciples, if they persecute me, they will persecute you. But the difference is, although we will suffer in this life, and some of us will suffer more greatly than others, we can have peace despite the suffering. And death is no longer an enemy, for Christ has conquered death and destroyed it. Instead, death, for those of us who believe, is our victory, because we will rise again into new creation and new life. But what does that mean for us right now, right here, as a parish, as a group of believers on the way, the truth, the life, following our maker, our creator. It means that there will be highs and there will be lows. There will be ups, there will be downs. There will be joy and there will be grief. But, but, we must keep pressing forward and endure to the end. Finish the race that has been provided to us. We will fail at times, but we must get up, remember our baptisms, confess, repent, be on our way, dust off, and keep at it. We are on a race, and we will trip and we will fall. We will be bruised, we will be broken, we will be hurt. But Lord will not desert us, because he has a purpose and a place and a mission, not only for you, for me, but for this parish, a legacy that lasts far longer than we will last on this earth. Thank God. The Lord, he will discipline us. And that discipline is severe sometimes. But we need that discipline because as the epistle says, for our good, God disciplines us like sons that we may share in his holiness. Not that we will become self-holy or become good people or better people, but that we will share in the holiness of God Almighty. That is amazing. That's incredible. He is the Holy One. He's the same one. Don't forget that Moses could not even look at with his own eyes without being destroyed. And yet now, because of Christ and what he has done, we will share in his holiness and be made one with him. That's incredible. That's powerful. That's good news. 
Hebrews is clear, though, the reality of it, because this discipline, quote, for the moment, all discipline, it seems painful rather than pleasant, but, and this is important, later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So many metaphors there that I just want to dive into, but think of it this way. God Almighty is going to discipline his sons like we would discipline any of our own children. We do it for the benefit of our children, so they're educated, so that they're better, so that they act eventually like adults, so that they grow up into adulthood. And the Lord also will discipline us to help us to grow into the sons of God that he created us to be before the foundation of the world. And it takes discipline to succeed in anything in life. Ask anyone who plays baseball. If you do not practice, you will not become better. If you want to be a good writer, you have to write and continue to write. And if you want to finish the race, it will take discipline to finish this race. Think about how those who do a marathon, how they run and they train for months. And I'm speaking not from personal experience because I am not a runner. But think about those. I have plenty of friends who are runners. And what do they do? They train for months and weeks. They run. And if you've never done one, never done a half marathon, what do they tell you? Start small. Start slow. Work your way up. Get that first mile under your belt. Get good at it. And then start adding more to it. And get more and more in terms of how long you run. And be trained and disciplined. So that when all of a sudden that stitch in your side comes about, you fight through the pain. And you keep going until... That doesn't happen to you until another mile down the road. Until eventually you can finish the race and endure until the end. And our Lord God, he disciplines us not only because he loves us and wants to make us his sons, but we forget in this world that discipline is what makes disciples. If we're really disciples of Christ, he will discipline us to help us to finish the race. And he disciplines us because he loves us as his own children, and he wishes to make us into new creatures, a new human, into the humanity that Jesus is. He is raising us up to be like him. And it's not all in the blink of an eye, but it's through working on us here in this life by making us and molding us into a new creation. That's exciting. And what is the visible result of being a new creature is to see that your holiness is not your own, but is the holiness of our Lord God. That we are being changed so that we live righteously. So that we, who are called to be disciplined, who are called to be discipled, can fulfill Christ's great commission at the end of Matthew. Where we become one with Christ's holiness so that we can go out into the world and make disciples ourselves, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Good news that we are disciplined so that we can go out and make other disciples. It's a domino effect. He works on us so that we can fall over and work on someone else, so they can work on someone else, all the way until the next life, until Christ returns. So that then at the end of time, there'll be many sons and daughters who are part of the family of God, So that not only will this parish have grown, but the entire church, the communion of saints, will grow from the beginning all the way to the end. And what a family we will have to rejoice in these good news of becoming new creatures, of not being bound by our sins as we are now, of being released from this bondage of slavery and given new bodies, new life, of fulfilling God's mission 
to live to the next mission, this new creation that he's bringing into this world in which we are an outpost of heaven, as C.S. Lewis puts it, that we are an embassy to the nations of the world, that the new heavens and the new earth, it's breaking forth. There's a window here, and we can see through it. Through the bread and the wine of communion, it's coming to us visibly. We see visibly the bread and wine, and we receive spiritually the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That's surreal. That's otherworldly. That's heavenly. So I ask you, what is our vision? Our vision. As a parish, do we look to Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith? Or do we just view him as a God that we come to once a week? We sit down and we give our thanks. And then for the next six days, we live like any other person does. Our vision should be to live to our mission. And our mission is to love God through serving our neighbor. That's the summary of the law that we hear. We have the Ten Commandments, which is summarized by Christ and truly is enlarged by our Lord to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And when asked who is our neighbor, even the person you despise the most, that you have the least in common with, that is your neighbor. Go and make disciples to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. As your new vicar, I pledge to you that this will be our mission. We have to be all in. It's not a one man's job. It's an every man and woman's job. It's our commission to go forth to be fruitful in our lives, to become righteous, and to go and spread this good news. And the measure of our success is not numbers, it's not data, it's not the American way. It's the way, the truth, and the life. It's changed souls, it's changed persons, it's righteousness. And so if that means the righteousness of one is enlarged, then that's good news. If that means that we are each made a little bit more holy than yesterday. That is good news. If that means that we tell another the good news of Christ, that is success. Because, as I've told you before, a monk for many years ago was asked, what do you do in the monastery all day? And he said, we fall down and we get back up. We fall down and we get back up. And that is what we will do. We will fall down and we will get back up. Never forgetting to thank God for allowing us to get back up so that we can tell others that when you fall down, you can get back up. And it's not you who has to get up and finish the race. It's you letting the Spirit of God live within you so you are strengthened and disciplined so that you finish the race thanks to the one who has finished the race for you. The time is now for each of us to put our hand to the plow and not look back, as our Christ says. Let's go to work. Because our Lord tells us the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. So look around you. Where do you work? Where do you live? Where do you go to school? Where are the ones who are your friends? Look around you, because everywhere you're surrounded by your neighbor. When you fill up gas at the gas station, the person next to you is your neighbor. 
when you're checking out at a fast food restaurant. The one who serves you is your neighbor. There are neighbors everywhere. The harvest is plenty, but the workers are so few. How can we serve our neighbors? Give them a cup of coffee. Offer a glass of water. Invite them over for dinner. Thank them. Take them out. Bring them food when they're sick. Pray for them. Pray when suffering. Pray when not suffering. Be a neighbor to your neighbor. And let's get away from these devices and machines that we treat as though they're our neighbors. And instead, we're treating ourselves. Get out there and talk to those around you. Because within us lives Christ Jesus through the Spirit of God. And it's so easy to, to just take that for granted and just to spout it off or to read it. And be like, yeah, 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 I know, I know. The Spirit of God lives within me because of my baptism. I got that doctrine right. But do we live like it? That's what's more important. The Lord wants to see our fruit. If we really believe it, where is our fruit? Let us go forth and love our neighbor and be fruitful and multiply. The original command to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Christ tells us at the Great Commission, go forth, baptizing all the nations. We're to make disciples in all the nations. We are to multiply. When we share the good news that Jesus Christ lives and reigns, and that our neighbors are welcome to become members of God, members of his kingdom, to become one with the Lord by joining our family, this wonderful family, which we call the Church of the Good Shepherd. We are doing the Lord's work because St. Paul tells us how will people know the good news unless we tell them. It's not easy. It's awkward. But we're told to pronounce the gospel, to speak it, not merely to live it and hope that people notice that I'm living for Christ, but to also to pronounce it so that people see it through the words we say and the life that we live. We need both. Proclaim the word and live the word. And when you fall down, get back up. When you fall down, get back up. When you fall down, on your knees, pray, repent, and then get back up. Because we are disciples of Christ. So let us act like it by sharing. Through loving others, through celebrating in the feast that we're about to celebrate here today of bread and wine. The feast that we celebrate each Sunday known as Holy Communion. The life-giving feast of the bread and the wine that we are given because God is so good to us. Let us go peace to serve the Lord and our neighbors by welcoming them into the kingdom of God. Let us remind our neighbors that the kingdom is an open kingdom. It's a kingdom that is coming in by force, that has overtaken Satan, his demons, and his dominion, that has reclaimed this world for Christ's own. But it's not a kingdom that is simply going to run over our neighbor. It's a kingdom that has a gate wide open beckoning them, come and join. All you who are heavy laden, come receive the rest and the peace of Christ. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But we have a vision at this parish that's emboldened and is written even within the name of this parish, that we are the church of the Good Shepherd.
So to our eyes, let, them, let us cast them upon the good shepherd, the true shepherd, the perfecter and the author and the finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, one God. Amen. Thank you again for joining us on the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd, Pelham, Alabama podcast. We hope that you visit us in person. We have Sunday worship uh, every Sunday at 1030 in the morning. And you can visit us on our website at www.goodshepherdacna.com or visit us on Facebook at Good Shepherd ACNA. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, please like, subscribe, and rate the podcast. It not only makes us feel better, but more importantly, it helps those who are searching for Anglican podcasts find podcasts like this one and other ones that are out there on the web. Thank you, God bless, and have a good one. The Lord be with you, and with thy spirit, lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord. Let us give thanks unto our Lord God. It is meet and right so to do.